listening to video games to the max hello and welcome to another edition of video games to the max i'm your host sean garmer here with me this week is hayes madsen video game trends writer at inverse and freelance writer extraordinaire this dude is, <laughs> writes everywhere uh literally and i mean how you been yeah i've been good very busy yeah. <laughs> between Summer Game Fest and reviews and uh, a lot going on. Yeah, it has been a, a crazy time for games uh, so far. I mean, just obviously the thing this week is Final Fantasy 16. Uh, you reviewed it for Twinfinite. You yes. you have wrote, I don't know how many articles I've seen, like almost <laughs> daily you're writing something. Um, we'll get into that as well on this show. Of course, the we're... We happen to be in a little bit of a recess for the Microsoft FCC thing, but the rest of the week they'll be having something every day. So we'll talk about the first couple of days of that, the Nintendo Direct that just happened, and some other things all right after. All right, so just to go ahead and get this out of the way really quick here, uh, if this is your first time listening, your hundredth time listening, we appreciate you, and thank you always for checking us out, whether it's live on Twitch at W2 Network, Facebook, Twitter, all of that, or go on the YouTube channel, W2 Network. You can subscribe, uh, follow, like there. And if you do, you not only do you get what we do here, you get all of the other stuff that's part of the network, which is like the Rattleton Broadcasting. They do all the entertainment stuff. So basically anytime there's a big movie, they're reviewing it. They just did the Elemental one. Uh, for some reason, I'm drawing a blank on what was the biggest movie. Uh, the Flash, I'm sure that will be there. Uh, if not tonight, tomorrow, by the time you're listening to this. So uh, go check us out for that. You got Todd the Cakey doing anime and some other things as well. And, of course, you can listen with your ears on podcast form. It comes out a little bit later sometimes because I got to edit that. Um, and, you know, you can go listen to us on any podcast platform that's there. Just search Video Games to the Max and you'll be able to check us out. And, well, Hayes, let's get going, man. We got... You reviewed Final Fantasy 16. You said you put 80 hours into it. Yes. What is? What are your, uh, I guess, thoughts in general? I saw you give it a five out of five on Twinfinite. Like you really loved it that much, huh? Yeah. So I gave it a five out of five. It it has some issues, I will say, but I gave it a five out of five because I felt like the things that game does well overshadow the problems as it, that it has by such an astronomical that it almost didn't matter to me. Narratively, it's a very interesting game. The side quests are narratively very interesting, add a lot to the world and to the characters and really make those stories feel meaningful. Um, and then the real highlight is the, the icon battle. Like the big boss battles are kind of, you know, the big moments of the story. These are honestly maybe the most impressive boss battles I've ever seen in, you know, 30 years of playing games almost. So... It's an incredible action game that I think really kind of redefines what it means to be a Final Fantasy game in an interesting way. I mean, to like go from that, because a lot of the talk this uh, this whole week has been, is it a Final Fantasy game? Is it not a Final Fantasy game? 
uh it's low on rpg elements which is true like i'm not i didn't i'm not mm-hmm. anywhere near the end i think i'm about i want to say 20 25 hours in uh, or that's how much i played i'm i think i'm about to get to like the titan icon oh, fight yeah. or whatever <laughs> so probably the highlight of the game <laughs> yeah oh i mean just the one i had right before that i thought that was pretty awesome so if that's that's the highlight <laughs> that's pretty that's pretty cool there like as uh what what is your history i guess of final fantasy like have have you played most of them i mean yeah so <laughs> final fantasy is my favorite entertainment property period like video games movies anything it's my favorite thing ever uh, i've played pretty much every final fantasy game that exists not just the main series but everything outside of that too um and i have there's no series that i have covered more extensively in my 12 13 years of covering games i mean i've done it tons of interviews with creators i did i've done interviews with yoshida i didn't i've done interviews with the director of final fantasy 9 um so i have i have a very um rich history with the series so to say uh which one would you say is your favorite uh final fantasy 9 is actually my favorite game of all time so and we both agree there so. yeah i i noticed that yeah uh, i mean it's just something about like it's the classic, you know, feeling of that those SNES games, and then also like bringing in the the height of the PS One era with yeah. the FMVs and and the story it tells, which is fantastic too. I know it's a lot of people's favorites uh, as well, but you know you got the seven crowd, the eight crowd, all that. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's always interesting to see what people's like favorite ones. And which one did you start on? Uh, seven was where I started. That was my okay. first one, and then after that I played Tactics, and then Nine, and then the rest of the series from there. Fair enough. Yeah, I went, I think ten, nine, and then just kept going backwards after that. Yeah. And I played twelve when it actually, you know, came out. So mm-hmm. uh, that was very interesting. That took I I don't think I ever I got like halfway through, and I got so <laughs> I wasn't a I never been a big MMO person. And the whole gamma system just like was like, whoa, okay, this is a lot. <laughs> and yeah. I, I think I it took me a while till that new one, the the newer version came out for the Switch, and then I got a lot farther. Yeah. Um, I'm not a huge MMO person either, but uh when the pandemic started, I decided to get back into 14. Uh, okay. and it it launched an obsession for me. I mean, I've I've played thousands of hours of 14. I'm going to Fan Fest next month, actually, as well. So, <laughs> oh man, you are everywhere with this. So, like, so see, knowing that you know Yoshida had a lot to do with 14, do you see like a ton of the influences from 14 in this? Yeah, so that's actually the most interesting thing I think to me. Looking at a lot of the reviews, because you can tell who's played 14 and who hasn't. Because a lot of the progression in 16 is almost the exact same as 14 in terms of how the narrative plays. You have these like big dungeons or levels in 16 that are kind of like the dungeons of that you might see in an expansion. For So you see this kind of story progression that builds up. Um, and then the side quests are also very similar. There's little details like certain side quests have like a plus sign on them. And that signifies that it's something that is like significant and that'll give you an upgrade or something important. And that's exactly what 14 does. Any side quest with a plus sign, you know, like, oh, I need to do that. That's going to be important. So there's just tons of, like, little things that are very similar. 
Yeah, I mean, like that's all I've been seeing as well. I mean, if you play 16, you'll kind of get why the cyclists are the way they are, why mm -hmm. certain things are like, so were you able to kind of, I guess, uh, not uh, be more forgiving of that as opposed to, I guess, other people that say, oh man, that this totally killed it for me. I, I think so, maybe. Yeah, my experience with 14, I think maybe let me be a little more forgiving. For me, it was, I fully recognize the side quests are very not interesting in terms of the mechanics. Like there are a lot of fetch quests or go beat this enemy or something like that. Um, and initially I was disappointed by that. But the narrative importance of the side quests and how interesting they are story-wise ended up being what sold it for me. Because I was like, these stories are so interesting that I don't really care how boring the things I'm doing yeah, I mean, that's what I thought of, too. Like, just going from, obviously, they've talked about it for <clears throat> not not really spoiling anything, which I'm trying to avoid doing because, you know, we're just uh, not even, what, five, four or five days from release. Uh, you know, you have a central hub, which they've talked about it for. And, you know, that eventually progresses, and you, you have another central hub later. And to see like how those side quests actually do mean something narratively, which you know you bring up in your review of they don't you're not doing a whole lot of great awesome things, but the the way it tells the story with those side quests for those people that you're the NPCs that you're helping, I think kind of makes it worthwhile. Uh, just in the ones I've done all the ones up to the point where I am, and even in those the small amount I've done already, I I can see where the like narrative points keep going. Yeah, yeah. And what's really interesting that uh, I didn't expect at first is you have these little like sub stories that pop up in the side quests early on. You know, you meet these characters and you kind of learn about certain towns and things going on. What I didn't expect is that those stories would then carry on like throughout the entire game. So you have these like side plots happening in tandem to the main plot where you're seeing these towns and these people react to the way that the world is changing. Um, and I thought that was very interesting because you don't often see that in a lot of games, let alone Final Fantasy games, where you're really following these side characters and seeing how their lives are changing on top of the main cast. Yeah, and then, you know, obviously the biggest change for a lot of people that play, I guess maybe it's not because 15 was already heading in that direction, is the combat is much more action-based. Right, yeah. it's uh, it's much more akin to Devil May Cry, Bayonetta, that kind of thing. Do you have like a lot of familiarity with those games? Was it easy for you to pick up, or was it a bit jarring to to go from Final Fantasy that we've known to this? For me, it was easy to pick up. Um, ironically, uh, one of the only other like perfect scores I've ever given was Devil May Cry Five. Uh, the same combat designer, Ryota Suzuki. Right, um, and you know. I have a lot of experience with action games. Um, I think 16 does a lot of things to kind of take steps to ease players that might not be as familiar with action games into the experience. Um, so I think maybe it's a little more approachable than something like even Devil May Cry 5. Like I haven't, I wouldn't say I've, I've gotten a couple times close to maybe dying because I couldn't hit the potion button fast enough or whatever, but I don't feel like it's a very... Did you ever feel like it was like difficult? Did you... There were a couple instances where I had to like retry a battle, but unless you're seeking out an extra challenge, I wouldn't yeah. say it's extremely challenging until you beat the game and unlock 
like the hard difficulty called Final Fantasy mode, which then is like incredibly difficult. So I think there are options there to make things harder for people that want it. Um, yeah. But I appreciate that it doesn't, it's a game that wants you to see and experience everything that it has. Um, so like when you, when you die and you retry, it restores all your potions um, so that you have like a full fighting chance in the game. And I, I think personally, I think that's a smart design for this kind of game. That's so story and so a narrative focused, and that it wants you to be able to, to see everything. And speaking of that, like narrative, did you, um, I mean, I don't know how familiar you are with like, say like the Dark Souls. Um, mm-hmm. That Very, seems yeah. to be the direction that everybody wants your game to go in when it's this type of game, right? Where it's like, mm-hmm. okay, we've got to make it super difficult. Uh, we got to make it challenging for people so that you're in it. And then the story is sort of kind of piecemeal to you or whatever. And like you said, the story is a bit different here where it's, it's all about the story. It's all about the bombast, the how spectacular can we make something? Do you feel like the story hits that well that you can, I guess, forgive some of the, where maybe the combat isn't as challenging? I think overall. Yeah. Um, I think there are certain themes that it kind of stumbles and doesn't deal with as well as it could. Um, you know, when the game starts out, it's, you can really see like the game of Thrones and mm-hmm. a lot of political machinations setting up all these world superpowers. And then it has this whole theme of slavery that I don't think is exceptionally well handled in the end. Um, I don't think it's the worst thing I've ever seen, but it could be better. Um, but I think further you get into it the more it starts to veer away from that kind of game of thrones style into more like fantastical sci-fi traditional final fantasy you know saving the world from ruin not to dilute things too much but the power of friendship you know um i think it hits those themes well and it starts out strong but then kind of transitions and changes and ends strong so i think the goalposts of the start and the end are strong enough you know, that's another one of the things is, uh, for me, one of the things that I've always enjoyed about Final Fantasy is, like, having your party, right? Having all the characters and seeing them grow and, and everything else. And even in the part that I'm in, I haven't, you know, beaten the game, but you, I have already had an impactful moment, which I don't want to give away. And I, I still felt that, even though you can say, oh, are they really part of your party? You don't control them. Like, how do you feel as somebody that's like beaten the whole game? Did at the end, did you feel like, even though I can't control these characters, they, they are my party. Yeah. It's really interesting actually, because even though, like you said, you don't have a direct party that you customize or influence. Like I think this game has one of the better ensemble casts of the whole series. And the way that Clive's relationship with these people grows is very interesting. Um, one of the huge highlights is Sid, this game's version of Sid, which is he's yeah. honestly probably the best Sid in the whole series. But the way that he kind of adopts Clive and takes him under his wing and sees him as like a kindred soul. And then there's this really complex friendship that develops. And that relationship between the two kind of becomes a driving force for the entire rest of the story. Um and I think that one's the highlight, but Clive develops these really interesting relationships with other people. And, and it, it's just strange that in this game that doesn't have the traditional party has some of the best party ideas 
basically in terms of story. I mean, plus you get a dog the whole time. Yeah, all Torgal is absolutely no <laughs> notes when it comes to Torgal. He's yeah. the perfect video game dog in every way. Yeah, I mean, you can you can pet him and play with him, or he can just be the dude that saves your butt. How many? I don't know how many times already, and I can imagine yeah. he does that more. And he's always um, there, and he's always yeah. cute, and it's just every scene is better for him being in it. <laughs> it oh, exactly, and and I, and I find it interesting too, like the way they. Uh, use Jill, which is like another one that's a lot in your party. It's kind of implied that she, from a young age, they, they're brother and sister, but you can kind of tell that they kind of show that she has feelings for him. And then that sort of like moves on, but they don't always, they don't necessarily imply it directly. Right. I'm not going to yeah. spoil anything, but that very yeah. much becomes a thing later on. Okay. It does. Okay. Um, it's not, it's good. It's not like anywhere close to like Tetis and Yuna levels of romance. Yeah. But it's it's solid. It's a good solid romance. That's good. I mean, it doesn't always have to be um you know, they they uh I think they've showed it in the demo, so I'm not really necessarily spoiling anything, but the Benedicta and Titan stuff and then yeah. it actually makes sense later on when you do get to that uh, that moment why they do that. But um yeah, I, I do think that that's like one of the things that I'm enthralled in the story. I'm sitting here talking to you and I've actually been thinking about it while I was working all morning. Like, I just want to keep playing this game. <laughs> so um, for people that maybe see this and go, ah, okay, it's it doesn't have all these things that I associate with a Final Fantasy. What would you say to them that are like, just, I'm not playing this. It's not, is there something you think that can hook them in? Yeah, you know, to me... The reason Final Fantasy has always been my favorite is because it's something that isn't defined by right. clear-cut lines. You know, it's always a series that is trying new things, trying to evolve, trying to be different. Um, and I think this is the perfect example of that. And I think even though it's moving on to action combat and more quote-unquote mature storytelling, like I think the spirit of what makes a Final Fantasy game is still very present with you know these complex character interactions and these fantastical stories, exceptional performances by actors, um, kind of cutting edge technology. I mean, this game is, is gorgeous. It's absolutely one of the most impressive games I've, I've seen on this generation visually. So it, it kind of, it still has this soul of pushing the envelope and, and trying to, you know, tell this interesting story with, with fascinating characters and tie that to, gameplay and interesting um and i think if people think about it in a broader context like that there's going to be a lot to enjoy with this even though it doesn't have like you know if you like turn-based combat it doesn't have that and things like that um i still think the very soul of what makes the final game yeah i mean and it has everything else you know the, the fantastic music probably the best voice cast of all the i mean uh, yeah like um you, you have your moogles and your chocobos and and all the sun for God's sakes, the whole thing revolves around the summons and the crystals. Yeah. I mean, you can't get yeah. any more old school Final Fantasy than that. I think the it, voice cast really deserves like a special mention because even if a lot of what happens in the story isn't, the twists aren't hugely surprising, but the mm -hmm. the cast is what really sells it. Every single one of them does such an exceptional job of inhabiting their characters. Clive's voice actor, especially Ben Starr, is, I mean, oh, he is the performance fantastic. he gives are just yeah. 
at, at this point, I don't see any way he, that he doesn't win Best Actor the Game Awards. I mean, if unless we're going to say yeah. that uh, the the actor that plays Sid is going to be right up there with him because he's fantastic I mean, as well. Possible, like, yeah. Um, you can just I, I tell mean, the emotion he has. Oh, both, yeah, exactly. Both of them just, just nail that. And then the way that they weave that story at the beginning to to how that is where I'm at, where I'm at. And I'm sure to a completion, it does a pretty good job of everything on, like, what would you say about, I guess the world that's, that didn't have it. it. I've seen just a lot of changes. It changes a lot of scenery. Like it goes from the medieval look to sort of a more of like an Arabic kind of look at times to yeah. like, what did you think about that? Even I though it's it, not open world or whatever, did, did it still make an impression on you? Yeah, definitely. Visually, it's very interesting. And I think that's something I love about 14. Um, and even though 14 is a little more interactive and explorable, like both games have these really like grandiose settings uh, where you have these, you know, massive castles and giant crystals. Um, I think Valisvi in 16 is like a, a really visually interesting world, especially when you see some of the cities with these massive mother crystals just looming in the background yeah um and the icon battles just a lot of the the visuals going on in there are just absolutely incredible like i'm not going to spoil it but the the titan battle that you talked about and the next one after that are just mind-blowing in terms of what is on screen and happening there's just multiple moments where it's just like i cannot believe this is going on kind of the same feeling as like if you ever played asura's wrath yeah that is all about the yeah just the, the wildest ones. things you've ever seen in your life are happening that's that's awesome I'm glad i have a lot to look forward to there like so what what is your i get you know you've unlocked them all like what's your favorite icon uh attacks or titan is probably my favorite because yeah. it's very much based around counters um and in like high speed action games i really love when it has like a good parry or counter system um and just hitting that counter at the right moment with some of titan's abilities is just so satisfying um so i think that's my favorite and odin would probably be a second because you get you get zomtets everyone oh yeah i mean that's so. that's awesome right? <laughs> i mean so far like i i haven't like i like the fact that they all kind of have their purpose as well i mean you could probably you could be fine with kind of sticking to one or just sticking to like the same three or whatever but they all kind of have their purpose and that's if you play around with it i feel like there is some depth there yeah that's where most of the game's depth comes from and like you said like you really can go any direction you want with it and get away just fine um so the like the variety of these different builds you can is i think what makes that combat system and the reason it gets better as you go on is because you're unlocking more of these icon sets and getting more options. Uh, you wrote about the uh, not having big on RPG elements and like two of them for me were a bit jarring and I mm-hmm. wanted to kind of get your take on it. Number one for me was how do you have all these different icons that have all these different elements and you don't have en- elemental weaknesses and strengths and it's just weird like using the phoenix firepower on a bomb and it keeps and it doesn't get huge and blow up on me like it's like it's just weird you know that's something you're used to with the Final fantasy games yeah and then uh i i kind of forgotten my point on the second one but like oh the the weapons right 
I feel like the weapon, I've heard apparently it gets better on the Final Fantasy mode, but in the base game, I almost feel like it's sort of almost pointless to keep upgrading the armor and the swords because every time you win an icon battle, you already get the best sword there. So did you feel that way too, that those were kind of lesser points? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Uh, Those are, I think, maybe some of the bigger flaws. Um, Ultimately, I don't think they're huge flaws because they're both, like even the weapon system ends up being not a huge part of it. Um, So I wrote this article about how the RPG elements are are barely there. And my argument was that if it had just left those RPG elements behind entirely and just gone full in full on action game, don't even worry about, you know, having equipment, this kind of stuff, I think it would have been better for it. Um, What's there is still fantastic, but, like the crafting and equipment system and the fact that you your element changes when you switch icons, it all feels like kind of an afterthought that kind of has to be there just because yeah. that stuff's always been in Final Fantasy. So I think looking forward, um, if another action game comes from Final Fantasy, I'd like to see it just ditch those entirely. Just don't even worry about having crafting or something like go like full on Devil May Cry style where you're just... You know, you get different weapons and you're just switching between them. You get different icon sets and you're just switching between them. So that's that's where I was going to, I guess, end the review part of this is, do you think that this is going to be the way forward? Uh, especially considering that, uh, we'll talk about in a second, there's other remakes. There's a remake already in process and then there's other remakes that are rumored that we don't know about, that we don't have full confirmation on from anybody. Do you think that as far as the main series goes, do you think that they will take that full action point for the next one? Or I think a lot of it is honestly going to come down to sales and how this game does. Because um, Square Enix has shown in recent years that they're fairly reactive to how players yeah. you know, receive their games. There was an interview Yoshida did a few weeks ago where he said, like one of the reasons 16 is fairly linear is because people responded negatively to the open world in 15. So I think, you know, reviews have been incredibly good out of the gate, but I think sales are going to make a big difference here. But I also think that the people developing this game, the team behind it have said that, you know, been very vocal about final fantasy can be whatever the people making it want it to be. So it could be an action game, but if someone at, Square has a really good idea for something turn-based or something more traditional, and I think that could happen too. Um, It's really hard to say, honestly. I mean, I think the action stuff will continue at least with the seven remake stuff, but um, I could see, I could very well see a situation where we return to a more traditional style of Final Fantasy 17. Do you personally want to see it go full on action or? Um, to be honest, I don't really have a preference. I would be okay. fine either way. Uh, as long as the people, whoever makes Final Fantasy 17, whoever the director, producer, etc., are, as long as they get to make the game that they want the way that they want, that's really all I care about. Um, so I would be completely fine with it going back to turn-based. I would be completely fine if it goes full-on action. I think both have potential. Yeah, I think they definitely do. And we've seen that they can do the hybrid as well with Final Fantasy 7. Uh, I mean, you know, it's both of ours, like, favorite series, you know, of, as far as gaming goes. So I don't think I need to, uh, especially considering who you have in the background there, 
how how do you feel about the uh, seven remake and and what do you think about the seven rebirth yeah that, so that came out? um i am 100 percent sold on remake and rebirth um personally i think i like final fantasy 7 remake a little more than i like 16. i i love everything about remake that i love that combat system i think it's fantastic the way it integrates action and turn-based together i've never seen anything like it uh i love i personally love what they're doing with the story and the direction they've taken it yeah with that kind of like the way they end the remake with kind of this like meta narrative about leaving the past behind and letting its creators do something different i'm i love what it's doing and i think rebirth that trailer looks incredible um i'm really really interested to see what they're doing especially in terms of like are there different timelines going on that scene that's really interesting to me in the rebirth trailers where everyone's getting carted onto like medical helicopters yeah it looks like they're all dead and then we yeah. don't know if that's the same timeline or not like that yeah which to awesome. me suggests that zach is probably in a different timeline yeah still alive doing stuff what i think is interesting is like okay there's different timelines but what does that mean how do these timelines interact like yeah what's going on is sephiroth going to travel between timelines and fight zach and cloud both i just the possibilities are what are most exciting yeah i mean that's that's what's so awesome about this right is that they didn't take i know a lot of people wanted the faithful one-to-one -one, whatever but it's like this is what's so cool you can play that original game uh you're going to be able to play it in a exactly, nicer looking yeah. way with ever crisis pretty soon and then you get this which is like a like reimagining redoing of this and getting to make it grander and and still have your cool things that you remember from those games yeah but like i love this too i love the fact that like you don't really know what's going to happen what are they going to change what's going to what's going to stay the same what's going to be different from the old game like this keeps you guessing it keeps you wondering if they just showed a trailer and you know it's going to be the same thing you're not going to be as excited but this makes it to where you're excited anytime they show something which is awesome yeah i agree yeah and you know six seven years down the road when we have the whole three game project <laughs> yeah. out maybe we'll be disappointed but i still think it's worth it because the way that i approach remakes is that i prefer them to be new interpretations of that source yeah. material i don't want to play the same thing again just looking better and feeling better i want someone else to bring their interpretation i want someone else to bring their take i think that's what makes a remake interesting is when you get something else even if it's not great all the time i think the fact of having two interpretations of something is is what's most interesting yeah for sure and that's that's what's going to leave us into there's a lot of rumor well one of them is it seems like the entire uh, square enix staff wants to remake six which <laughs> is you know if you talk to a lot of people it's the magnum opus of final fantasy it's perhaps the greatest of the final fantasies uh it's my second one behind nine uh and then you got this heavily rumored nine remake, which of course would make mm -hmm. both of us extremely happy. And then there now there's been a 10 remake that's possibly popping up. Yeah. Uh, the, where do you yeah. land on all the, I mean, probably you want all of them, but I mean, I guess if you have to have one and then where, what do you think about, do you think all of them can happen? Do you think some of them are kind of pie in the sky? What are your, what are your thoughts on that? To me instantly, the 10 remake is the one that feels weak because I don't, that game still holds up fairly well. Yes, and I think it does. 
I think the, the resources and time you would put into a 10 remake could be just as well spent making a 10 three, which has been talked about before. And there's, there's an audio drama that takes place after 10 two that kind of has hints of what could happen. Um, I would much rather see 10 three than a 10 remake personally, but for nine and six, you know, six, I think is the most obvious cans. It's the one that, that everyone talks about, like you said, as kind of the, the pinnacle of the series. And um, it's the one that has the most potential for growth from a re. Um, personally, I would want to see nine more just because it's my favorite. Right. Um, and I think you could also do really interesting things there with, you know, updated graphics and, potentially an action combat system i think could be really interesting in nine yeah especially because you have all the different characters right so like how yeah. would you do that like I, a hybrid system with all of them would be cool even if they did the final Fantasy VII remake thing uh yeah. you know imagine using vb in one and then putting over and using dagger and then using zidane and like that would be awesome you know that yeah you could move them all around and um i, 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 I definitely want to see it I don't know if you're familiar with the Tales series, but yes, I think like a Tales kind of combat system where you have these different characters, but they each have different roles. I think that could work really well for. Yeah, to the like sort of like, and they move around like. Uh, yeah. I I love to rise. So like, if oh, they yeah. do something yeah. like that, I mean, that would be awesome as well. So the possibilities are there. Nine's heavily rumored because it was in that Nvidia leak, and then. There's supposedly been this anime that's going to happen for a long time. That yeah, that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> so, who knows if it, if it does or not? The, but yeah. there's also the tactics remaster. Which yeah, I would the like tactics remaster. Man, that that should happen. Like, we need a tactics remaster. We have all these strategy RPGs. A Fire Emblem is huge right now. If there's ever a yeah. time to make one, do it. Especially after that yeah. tactics ogre remaster last year. That was yeah, honestly, really good. I would love to see what Matsuno and his team could do, like reapproaching tactic. It kind of right. I mean, I love tactics, but fixing some of like maybe the little issues that could go a long way. Yeah, I would hope so. I'd hope they add a quality of life stuff and not just remaster it and be done. Like it's such mm -hmm. a beloved series, and then you know it's inhabiting the same world as twelve and and fourteen, right? So like you would think that. Yeah you're going to want to give it that love because you have series that are out right now in that same world. Yeah. I mean, everything else in the NVIDIA leak has come true. So it, it seems yeah, that's hope. at this point. Let's hope for sure. Um, so yeah, I think we talked a lot about it. I'm enjoying it. You loved it as well. Hopefully all of you guys are enjoying that Final Fantasy 16 right now. And a lot of Final Fantasy to look forward to that. We never bit, lived in a better time to be a Final Fantasy yeah fan right now there's so much going on but it's honestly crazy how much has happened theater rhythm and stranger paradise and 14's next expansion and rebirth too much <laughs> and people shouldn't sleep on stranger paradise that game is so much better than a lot of people give it credit for yeah you know? very much agree uh especially like the last like 30 percent of that game wild just crazy <laughs> it's crazy so stuff. freaking crazy it's like <laughs> This is a Final Fantasy game too. Like, can you imagine? You know, everybody gets hooked on the the chaos, 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 and it's like, mm -hmm. y'all play this game. You definitely need to if you want Final Fantasy Dark Souls. You got it right there. Um, yeah, and, and some and some crazy stuff. Like, so yeah, it, there's Final Fantasy is uh, in a good moment 
right now to add on to this incredible 2023 of gaming that uh, that we have going on. But just to take a step back before we talk about stuff from the latest Nintendo Direct, I kind of like to talk to everybody about their like where you started with gaming, you know, your gaming origins kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you talked about having played for over 30 years, so you're, you're a gamer from from the from the jump. Pretty much, yeah. I'm almost 32, so you know. Saying I started playing games at two years is maybe being a little generous, but yeah. <laughs> you know, like four or five, I was I was playing yeah. stuff, trying things. Uh, some of the first games I ever played was I don't know if you ever heard of Backyard Baseball. Yes. on PC. Yeah. I, man, I that I was huge on those games when I was, and like all of the humongous entertainment stuff, like Putt Putt and Pajama Sam and Freddy wow. Fish. Yeah, the stuff you didn't know was teaching you things while you're on. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. That that stuff was really influential and in kind of like getting me more into. Uh, what was your first uh, console? I think the first one I ever owned was a Nintendo Six, but I played like my brother's Super Nintendo and Genesis. Um, but I remember that sixty four was like the first one that I I was so excited. My big games were like Smash Bros and Majora's Mask and Star Fox. I mean. I must have beaten Star Fox 64 like 50 times endlessly. Wow. It's very short. It's very short. You can beat it's it. It's very like short. You can do three it. Three hours, yeah. but yeah. Obviously, you talked about Final Fantasy. RPGs are like a big thing for you. Do you have like another genre that you're a big favorite of? Or Yeah. Actually, RTS and strategy is is huge for me. And, you know, StarCraft 2 is kind of the obvious choice in RTS game. To me, that's like the pinnacle of that that genre but my other personal favorite is age of mythology uh which is getting a remake and i'm i'm so so excited yeah wow that's uh i mean it's two things that kind of go together especially when you do the strategy but um yeah the rts is so so like how far down the road do you go with that you go to like the 4x kind of stuff or you stop at just tactical I, I prefer art, like straight RTS tactical stuff, but I, I dabble in 4X occasionally. Um, okay. Sins of the Solar Empire is one of my favorite kind of 4X oh, ones. Oh, man. Um, and the, like the Age of Wonders and stuff. So I will occasionally go into 4X, but some of the 4X stuff is like, well, this is too too much for me. I yeah, can't. It's, it's way too in the weeds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it, so what, what would you say are like, I guess, some of your favorite games uh, of all time? You know, you mentioned nine is your favorite. But what, yeah. what I guess else goes in that list? Nine is my favorite game of all time, period. But kind of like rough top five, maybe I'd say is like Witcher 3, um, Persona 4 Golden, Fire Emblem Path of Radiance, and uh, Majora's Mask, maybe, I'd say. That's a good mix there. Yeah. You got your... Yeah. Yakuza is also very, very high on list. Yakuza is another series that I just adore. So, uh, you know, is is it? Uh, did you uh, enjoy the the change in Like a Dragon, or are you more of a traditional Yakuza? As you could probably guess from what I said about yeah, 16, but yeah, I really enjoyed Like a Dragon. I, I'm uh, I'm very much. I mean, on how board can you hate Ichiban doing. and all that all that crew? Yeah, that it's... game made me cry quite a few. Times. Very emotional. <laughs> yeah, it's um. I didn't know what to make of that game because it was really my first like deep dive into Yakuza because, okay, they changed the game system. It's more like an RPG, whatever. And I was like, I always fall off on all the other Yakuza games. But, man, there was something about Chibon, the whole crew, 
It felt like an RPG for adults. So yeah. it's like everybody's over 30 or whatever. It's not like 16-year-olds. So they're going through more real-life things, it feels like. And and I, I totally just – that whole party grew on me. And then the side quests are amazing too. So it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just one heck of a I think game. It's, it's the perfect encapsulation of what makes that series so special. That that switch to turn-based like really let them lean into absurdity. Yeah. So you have like this really wacky off the wall absurd things that then mixes with that like really traumatic crime kind of storytelling. Um, I mean, that, there's nothing else like it, and it just works. So. Yeah, and then it's just like we're talking about Dragon Quest every like thirty <laughs> minutes or so. It's just like, like it's like uh, not even the same company makes it, but it's, yeah. it, it's great that they just let them talk about it. That's awesome. Yeah, um, I love how tongue in cheek that. When uh, you go and and like think back at your, t- did you read a lot of like game mags as a kid? Did you uh, read gaming sites? Quite a bit, or... yeah. Um, game Informer was the big one. Um, since I was like probably seven or eight, I had a Gamer subscription, and I, growing up, you know, I read that whole thing cover to cover every month. Um, Nintendo Power, I read a little bit too, and then you know, back in, I didn't always have internet at home until i was like my family grew up fairly poor um but when i could get on the internet at school and a lot of times i would go to like ign or game spy or things like game faqs i spent a lot of time on site yeah man game informer was a big one for me and same thing uh i always liked uh, i guess egm yeah growing EGM. up yeah uh, i read a lot of one up as well like shout out to all mm-hmm. those people over there that yeah, i was I so when sad when closed, that site went yeah. down yeah Joystick, too, was another one. I remember when they closed down. I was sad. Joystick uh, was, like, such a standard bearer, too. It's, like, yeah. sad. I I mean, so, like, that that's that was going to be my next question of just... You write for a lot of places. You are doing a lot with freelance, and, you know, you write at Inverse as well. Like, what made you want to go into games writing? And then how do you feel about that now? Because I feel like my heart hurts all the time because there's something yeah. closing down or people getting laid off. Yeah. What's your thought on that? Yes. You know, let's start on the positive note. <laughs> um, you know, I think growing up um, writing and English was kind of always my, my strongest subject in school um, and reading those magazines and those websites was hugely formative to me. So when I graduated high school, I had, I had no idea what to do. I started as a biology major. And like three months in, I was like, this sucks. I don't want to do this. And so I kind of just had a moment where I was like, you know, I always like writing and I like video games. I wonder if I could do that. Uh, So I I went online and looked for like video game writing jobs. And I found the website, (laughs) the the aptly named videogamejournalismjobs.com. Yeah. Um, And I reached out to someone there for this tiny site called Slim Game. And he ended up giving me a chance. That site doesn't you can't even find it anywhere on the internet i started there and it just kind of i i wrote while i was in school and it just kind of blew up it became my thing and from the second i started that i knew that i wanted to be in video games in some way i wanted to talk about them or do them in some way and you know eventually i hope that i can move into some something on development side that's my eventual goal um and that kind of leads into 
the current state of games writing and journalism, which I I don't think anyone can say is in a good spot right now. Yeah. It's uh, it's very hard at the moment. Um, even I do a lot of freelance work, and a lot of my freelance work has dried up because I I try and supplement my income, uh, and it it hasn't gone well. And I you know I have tons of friends and people I know that have been laid off and struggled to find work and. I don't know what the answer is for the industry, honestly. Um, I don't know how we make things better. I think eventually we'll hit a crest where things maybe start to balance out a little bit and we start to have more roles and more opportunities and less layoffs. But I think it's going to be hard to get. I don't think we're done with companies buying publications and companies that don't understand how journalism works or how games journalism works. And then they drive them into the ground. So I think we have some time left to go before things get better, but I do think they eventually will get better. And what what did you like? I, I, you kind of mentioned a little bit there. That was going to be my next question of like, what do you think it is about? Just it feels like I get it. In other industries, this is happening too, but it feels like gaming is just really feeling it hard as far as like yeah. places closing and all that. Like, what do you think it is? Like, is it really just them not understanding how that works? I think the big problem, you hear all the time that gaming makes more money than any under uh, any other industry in the world. It makes more right. than movies, music, all that. And so I think a lot of conglomerates and parent companies see it as an opportunity of like, oh, well, gaming makes all this money, so this is an opportunity for us to make money. But the way that the press works, especially in the gaming press, is that the money's not always there. You're not really gaming press sites and outlets aren't really making it's more about passion exactly yeah so you have these companies coming in saying we want profits we want to make money and that is coming in totally opposed to the editorial side which is wanting to do more meaningful coverage or a lot of sites you know want to do more meaningful reporting um and i think those are just indirect conflict and journalism or gaming as a whole, I think, is struggling to make development more transparent. You know, it's hard to report things like they used to get rid of because gaming companies want to be so secretive. Everything wants to be so. So I think those two factors combined are kind of what's making it hard um, for gaming journalism to really thrive. Yeah, because and then also you get the problem of, OK, we want to go open up more of gaming to people, but then you get the backlash from people that it's not just criticizing it's it goes yeah. beyond that and so it's like well do we really want to open this up because yeah it feels yeah. like you're damned if you do damned if you don't these days <laughs> like no matter yeah. what you do you, you get flack from people um and i think that that gets exhausting because we're we're people that write about video games it, we it, we want it to be fun and a lot of yeah. times you know it gets so overwhelming that it's like, I think every journalist in the, in the last couple of years has had a moment where we say, why do I do this? You know, mm-hmm. Why do I keep putting myself through this? When a lot of times, the not to say that people don't enjoy what we write, but the people that enjoy what we write aren't the ones telling us. Yeah, exactly. Everyone it that hates like... what we do is what, yeah. what the people talk. You know, it can get, it can get hard. And, you know, you're not, you're worried about your job. You're worried about your corporate overlord, so to speak. Yeah. And then you're getting crap from the other side of things too. And sometimes it just, 
gets overwhelming. And I see why people leave or go to other careers. It feels like it's not sustainable sometimes. Yeah, it definitely doesn't. It makes me sad because like you have to, you see all these people have to go into PR or marketing or something else. Uh, some of them get to stay in gaming related stuff and some of them just don't at all because yeah. again, you can't sustain yourself unless you're like working to the bone you don't get paid as much as even other writing industries itself because again people take advantage of the fact that it's like oh it's video games everybody loves it so yeah they'll write for nothing right like yeah it's like, hey, you it's know, we, to, we gotta pay for a house too right yeah it's important to point out too that like gaming journalism gaming press is maybe getting the worst of it but journalism and writing as a whole yeah, is no definitely going through hell right now it's it's kind it of a symptom sad. of a larger problem as somebody that went through a whole journalism like actually went to school to study journalism, do all that stuff. And then it's like, I didn't graduate because, you know, had my daughter and all that. And I'm like, now nah, I don't even know if I chose the right thing because there may not be anything to come back to not in the distant future. And then you got the AI problem. So that's yeah. already an issue. I've, there as I've, well. had, I've had people ask me, what would you tell someone if they wanted to do this for a job? And I hate to say that at the moment, I would say, don't, don't count on this being your career. Like yeah. if you want to do it on the side, if you have time on the side to, mm-hmm. to write and do things, then fantastic. But I think anyone needs to have a backup, a, a, you know, not, maybe not a backup plan, but something they can focus on if the writing doesn't work out. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, w- you know, honestly, maybe go into uh, like radio broadcast stuff. Uh, the the whole that whole idea of people saying it's oh just just go and and make a YouTube channel make some personality that's a great idea it's not easy to do and it's not no. for everybody there's no, a reason why I, some of these writers are writers they're better writers than talking to you on video yeah. you know I, I, uh, I've I've thought about dabbling in YouTube but I just it doesn't form for the way that me the writing does you know writing yeah. like, I know how to put stuff together but I look at making a video and it's, most of the time, like I don't get it. I don't, I just don't know how to how to do it. It's it's a much different skill set, and even then, sometimes I'm just like, I want to go back to the comfort of just writing something. I don't want to go through all this this stuff mm-hmm. you have to do with video. Um, but like going back to like the gaming side of things for a second here, what what do you see as like the biggest, I guess, pattern from when you were younger playing games to like now, like. Where do you see, I guess, gaming headed? Is it just going to keep getting bigger or? Well, it's a tough question. <laughs> I don't think it can just keep getting bigger forever. Um, yeah. You know, there's, if you look back through history, there's been a couple different gaming crashes. And right. I think it's inevitable that it happens again. I think the big problem is just these, these bloated budgets that AAA games have. Like, right. You just can't keep spending tens of millions of dollars on these games forever and expect to get a return on that investment, you know, like you can't have these projects that are five, 10 years and cost $300 million. Like it, it at some point the bubble's going to burst. And even with indie games, like, you know, you have, you have indie games and then you have almost prestige indie games, like the super giant games and things like that mm-hmm. who make fantastic games, but they're able to have this budget and, and these numbers of developers that smaller people can't. Um, and indie games almost the market's almost becoming oversaturated because um, you just any week you have 10 different indie games really so many games that 
are great and should get attention just don't because there's simply too much coming out. In years past, I've watched the Gorilla Collective thing and I, there's been a lot of uh, ones that I like and everything. And then it's like I felt almost flooded with the amount of games that yeah. were on that thing. I think it was like three hours. And I was like, wow, that is a lot. And then yeah. you watch all the other showcases that were on there. And it's like, I love the fact that there's so many indie games, but how many of these there's, indie games are going to even get yeah. a moment of attention? There's just too much stuff. I think the last month has shown us that more than anything. I mean, you have, you have Summer Game Fest, and then you have all those showcases, Ubisoft, Capcom, Nintendo, Microsoft, Future Games Show, PC Gaming Show. You know, just we have so many showcases and streams all the time. It's just as someone that covers games for a living full time, I can't keep up with it. Yeah. So I don't know how, how people who just play games for a hobby can keep up. Yeah, not to mention the casual person that's like, go in a store and okay, what do I buy? <laughs> what do I buy? Yeah. You know, like yeah. Or um, now you look at you look at the PlayStation Store and it's like hundreds of games that you have to sift through to find some. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, Xbox has the same problem. I mean, I think that's the only like decent thing about Game Pass is they don't have like they have a certain set of games that comes out every month and they get to showcase those and. If you're yeah. part of that, you actually get a moment yeah. to, to be important. It's definitely gone a long way for kind of giving the spotlight wouldn't get. Because like you go look on Steam and it's just like even Steam Next Fest, Next Fest which is cool because you get to play all these demos or whatever. And it's like, oh, my God, there's that many demos. <laughs> Holy crap. You know, demos on there, yeah. <laughs> so it's a lot. It's a lot. And like you said, I think we do need to kind of start going back and. You know, hey, look, double A is not bad. I, I think we need exactly, to like yeah. think about that. Like there might be, it might be good to have mid range games and, and indie games that are actually indie games and not like, we're all trying to be triple A. We're just, we're just not there for 10 years doing it. And that's another thing too. I mean, working 10 years on one thing, that's incredible. That's, that's a yeah. long time in your life. I mean, asking people to do that constantly that's going to burn people out so much. Yeah. Well, not even, I mean, think of all the developers that come and go through that project. Hundreds, yeah. if not thousands, who work on it a little bit and then move on to the next thing. Yeah, for sure. Um, it, it's insane. I, I hope uh, we get things change a little bit. Um, we don't all get swallowed by robots and whatever, and, and yeah. it can get a little bit better. But right now, it is though. a great time for games, and Nintendo uh, is absolutely showing that. With all the things that they did on the uh, all the stuff they showed on the direct, what do you think about like the direct in general? And do you kind of believe that whole thing of okay, this really showed that this is the last year of the direct, or this is the last year of Nintendo Switch? I think it was a good direct overall. It's not the best, but right, it was no. a good showing. I think it did a pretty good job of showing like, hey, Nintendo still has stuff coming. This year. there's still a pretty strong lineup between you know Mario RPG and. Uh, Super Mario Bros. Wonder and Pikmin and WarioWare and a bunch of third-party stuff. And um, I, I don't think it necessarily spells like this is the last year for the Switch. I think it shows that things are winding down, but I don't know how much longer we have. Um, I think maybe in the last two years, the Switch is what it Yeah, definitely going to see them trying to switch it another year. Yeah. Um, I think after that, you're really going to start getting to that end game with the switch where it's like 
I mean, technically, they don't have to do anything, right? It's so it's doing great by itself. But mm-hmm. you'd think at some point people are going to be like, okay, man, this is really old. Um, the PS5 yeah. and, and Series X are really uh, making it look bad because they can't play any of these games at all. Yeah. They're uh, certainly know. not just, like, giving up and waiting for the next thing, though. Because, I mean, like, Super Mario Bros. Wonder is the big thing to me. Like, this is a yeah. brand-new 2D Mario that honestly looks, like, really inventive and really innovative. Yes. And, like, this is the kind of game that I would not be surprised to see as, like, a launch title or a first-year title. Um, so, like, they're clearly still putting in effort. Yeah, and we know the 2D Mario sometimes sell way more than the 3D Marios. So, yeah. like... You add in all of that, and this could be an absolute just monster for Nintendo. And then you add in the Super Mario RPG remake, that thing, like, which I didn't, you know, they've been rumoring that forever, it feels like. (laughs) And then that actually showed up, and I'm like, oh my God, it happened. No way. Are are you a big fan of the Super Mario RPG? Yeah, I love Mario RPG. I'm, I'm really excited to see. I'm not totally sold on, like, the new visual style yet. I don't think it's bad, but I just need to see more before I really feel if I like it or not. I'm very interested to see if what they do with that, if it's going to just be like a one-to-one remake or if they're going to try and like streamline it and enhance it in some way. Nintendo usually tries to like change things or enhance things. Yeah, I'm sure that they're going to change some things. It's not going to be totally one-to-one, but I I think it'll be for the better, I hope. Um, Hopefully they don't touch the story much. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm a little bit worried about that, but hopefully it stays mostly the same. Is there anything else that was like you were excited about or kind of looking forward to from there? Yeah, my fa- my personal favorite was the Star Ocean Two. I guess remake. It looks more like a remake than it does remaster, uh, like yes. the HD two D one. I I love Star Ocean Two. I love Star Ocean in general, uh, but I think Star Ocean Two is one of the best RPGs ever. Um, I think that HD 2D remake really looks like it's trying to enhance that game and fix its issues with like combat and making that whole experience smoother. So I'm, I'm very excited about that. Yeah. With uh, hopefully this kind of revives a bit of star ocean because, you know, Square Enix put that thing out to die last year is. It was was good. It was a good game. I I just wish they knew how to market. Well, like, (laughs) The problem is they have too much coming out. Again, yeah. what we talked about. Square Enix just had, they have like a game or two games every month. And so it's just inevitable. It's like some of them aren't going to get attention because you're just putting yeah. too much stuff out. Well, they put out like all that stuff at the end of last year. And I was just like, where do you buried. expect people totally to buried. buy all of this stuff? Yeah. You didn't even budget price some of these things. They're all like 60 bucks. And it's like, yeah. do you like think Dragon Quest Treasures all that is a money? big one. Yeah. I can just got lost in the fall shuffle. And then and then they do it they're doing it again here with uh Dragon Quest uh, monsters. Yeah. They they must love December for these uh side storied Dragon Quest games. I um, think yeah, Dragon Quest doesn't do super well in the West. So yeah. I guess that's maybe a rationale. Like just put it out in December and it does what it does. Uh yeah, I mean we still got that uh H D two D of Dragon Quest three that they haven't yeah, really talked that much about 12. So yeah. I I mean the the anime game as well. So Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I forgot about that. Good god. <laughs> it's just this, so, so too much going on. <laughs> no, it's definitely like a lot. They are 
just hopefully this year they kind of spaced it out more um, and they can promote some of these things better. But I mean, because they, yeah. they've had a heck of a year already, you know, the theater rhythm, October Traveler 2, and you get Final Fantasy 16. Like, yeah, um, they, they are doing well as a publisher as far as their in um, terms of output. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, just uh, I don't know, man. A Paranormal Psych came out this year from them too, and that was uh, fantastic. That's one of my favorite games of the year. But no oh, one knows yeah. it even happened. <laughs> no, exactly. That thing came out, and it's like, oh, wait, that's that. Oh, and it's <laughs> it's this kind of game. Okay, like I felt like that could have got more love if they would have spaced that out more. Yeah, that's that's what they do. But it's frustrating because we talked about double A games. There should be more of those, yeah. and Square Enix is kind of doing that. They're just doing it to the extreme. Like, yes. Yes. Make more of those. Just kind of like scale it back just a little bit, you know? Yeah. Uh, oh, and I forgot about the pixel remasters. Those came out yeah. this year too on console. So, um, which, you know, they should have come out from the beginning. Yeah. That was a weird that's, thing. That's square. <laughs> square <laughs> thing. Yeah. Like, you know, they, they, I thought they had a good stuff, a good, a lot of stuff from as far as, you know, RPG. I feel like Nintendo is just really embracing the, the RPG. Uh, oh, yeah, the Switch a is lot. a great RPG system. Yeah. There's tons of stuff on there. But, I mean, yeah, the, the this Direct was, I thought, uh, pretty good. There is a lot of ports and remasters kind of thing. You know, you can make that argument. But, uh, you know, there you still had some surprises, and that's what you, yeah. you want uh, in these things. The um, one disappointment I guess I'd say I have is, like, no Metroid Prime 4. And I don't necessarily I need to get a date, but they – it's starting to feel like you gotta say something about that game because I'm real worried that it's just never happening. So like, you need to at least give a little development update, even if it's just 30 seconds of someone being like, "Hey, Metro Prime 4, we're working on it. It just needs more time." Like, I wonder if fine. they just decided that that's going to come out on the next system and they just try to be quiet about it so people don't. Bring I it think up so. And... I think it's going to be like an early title on the next. Like they're releasing pretty much everything else, you know. They released the Metroid Prime Remaster this year. They apparently had the other two in the can somewhere. Yeah. Um. So it would be weird to like, wouldn't this be the time where you want to show yeah. off for? And it's been, I think, four years since they rebooted it. Yeah. Because uh, it was at Bandai Namco first, and we don't know exactly what happened, but it didn't shape up well apparently. And then they scrapped everything and started from scratch at Retro. Yep. So it's enough time I, to have something to show it. Yeah, I, I really hope so. I hope it's it's going to be good and that, you know, keep taking your time as long as whenever you do reveal it next time, it's not just a, a title card. There's <laughs> some gameplay and some stuff to show yeah. uh, from there uh, for sure. Um, yeah, so, you know, hopefully you guys like some games from the Nintendo Direct. You can, you know, let us know in the comments there. The other big thing from this week, obviously, I'm glad that we're at this point because I'm so tired of talking about Microsoft Activision <laughs> Blizzard thing. Uh, oh, I know. I, I hope that we are like at the point where this is really going. It feels like it is because you know Microsoft themselves have said they don't want to. They don't know if they're going to renegotiate with Activision Blizzard if they can't get this through and they have to wait till August second and all that stuff for the FTC. But we've we've had the first two days of this uh, Microsoft FTC, FTC obviously trying to get that plenary injunction so that they can put it on pause, and Microsoft can't close the deal uh, ahead of them mm -hmm. and kind of put more pressure on them and the CMA to kind of make a decision. 
there's a lot of stuff that's kind of come out, including today, uh, that they at one point tried very heavily were interested in buying and acquiring Sega, which yeah is interesting considering that they have that uh, marketing deal with them. Sega and uh, Bungie, they were yeah. actively trying to purchase both. Yeah, I I was surprised that Bungie even you know considered them at all with all the other history that they have. Yeah. Um, obviously Bungie got bought by PlayStation and they also wanted to buy Zynga for the mobile stuff that got bought yeah. by take two. I see um, why Bungie went with yeah. the Sony deal if they had a choice though, because Sony is deal like let Bungie retain their, their independence, which is very important to that, that studio. They've talked and, about and Sony has times, the legacy like, right now how much too, they want right? Being independent and do what they want. Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, was oh looks like his yeah your video froze there yeah so sony's whole thing has been like hey oh you're good i think it just like skipped a little bit (laughs) no problem go ahead uh so sony's whole thing has just been like you know we will give you this money you get to stay independent but you help us with our live service stuff that's a very attractive deal for an independent student yeah they're they're getting to be the i guess right of first refusal hey this works no this doesn't work you know, mm-hmm. like, I don't know if that necessarily is the greatest thing for that Last of Us Factions thing, but we'll see how that works. I mean, they do technically have the expertise. Yeah. One um, of the other interesting things was yeah. that when it came out that Microsoft bought Bethesda because Sony was trying to make Starfield exclusive. Yeah, that was uh, an interesting kind of show of, oh, you want to keep fucking around? Oh, we're going to find out that we're going to just buy this whole studio and then mess with you. Um, you know, because they had taken Deathloop and, and uh, Ghostwire Tokyo, and then they were going to do the same with Starfield. And Microsoft was kind of like, all right, look, that's enough. You know, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if it happened quite that way, but they kind of make it seem like it did that way anyway. It just it is interesting that it's like you kind of woke up the dragon finally, and yeah. now you're trying to stop them from from doing it again. Like, I'm, a little you... su- I'm a little surprised by how much has come out of this trial on us. Is there stuff that's been coming out that like seemingly Microsoft would prefer that people don't know? Like the, the thing yeah. today where Matt Booty talked about in an email talked about like out purchasing Sony in the industry basically, like, just overpowering them in terms of like purchase power. Yeah. And I think that's the thing is they don't want to get into some kind of money war with them of mm-hmm. okay we're just going to and and also i think they run into the problem of sony and nintendo have such a dominance as far as staying power they're known right mm-hmm. especially with japanese developers like how long did it take them to get in good graces with sega and and capcom and all that where okay we you we will release games on your system uh, whereas you know square enix and some of the smaller ones they won't release on xbox at all because People won't buy the games there. Yeah. So what, I mean, where do you kind of stand on this whole thing? I, I forgot to ask you before we started of, are are you on the side of, okay, I don't like any kind of consolidation. Are you on the side of, okay, I understand this. Are you kind of in the middle where are you? I'm a little, I'm a little mixed on the whole thing overall. Um, you know, I think Microsoft has done a lot of great things for gaming in terms of, forwarding accessibility um, with their game design and 
the controller stuff they've done and things like that. I think Xbox Game Pass has done a great job for, you know, giving people a, a valuable subscription service and kind of pushing smaller games up. Um, but do I trust the, you know, multi-billion dollar company to purchase a studio and, and make the industry better? No, I don't, <laughs> you know, I, I don't think acquisitions in general, what, no matter what industry you're talking about are a great thing, you know, lessening a competition and consolidation, I think it just hurts people and industries and companies overall, but it, it's, it, it's the way of the business. It is. I understand that. So um, I have, I have a lot of trepidation and a lot of worries, but I think that the Microsoft Activision deal will probably go through at some point or another. I think it'll take a while, but I think eventually they'll come out the other side. I'm very worried about like the domino effect that it's yeah. going to cause of, Oh, we let this go through. So when do we put the stop gap on it? Like when, is it where we don't have 40 countries pass it and it's just two kind of trying to face against it where it's more of them because yeah, Microsoft has a point. This is not the whole industry. They're not being a monopoly here, but will this trigger Sony to fight back? And then we just start taking, we just start going back and forth until there's hardly, it is just Sony, Microsoft, Valve, Nintendo, and like a couple of other ones sitting around. Yeah. I mean, you we see it in other industries too. You know, when Disney bought Fox, that was a big thing for a lot of people. And I think, yeah, a few years down the road now, I think we've seen the effect that that's kind of had, where Disney kind of does seem like they own everything that that does well. You know, which you know they don't, but it seems like that sometimes. Yeah, and then it feels like when you, you know we've seen the other side of the coin, right? Of uh, what's uh, Warner Discovery doing right now? They're trying to sell half their movie thing because they're just trying to yeah. cut losses, cut losses because they've merged yeah. so many times. It's, it's and not working out. They're ditching all this content for tax write-offs. And I think it's kind of worrisome. Like this is happening in the streaming arena and, you know, the TV and movies arena, like does that ever migrate to video games at some point? At what point do we see services just completely taken offline for tax write-offs or things? Yeah, I think the only thing that separates it is because on the streaming service, you're not buying any of that stuff, right? On the, yeah. You could take Game Pass off, but the game can still be bought separately. You know, Sony or Microsoft say, okay, we're, we're kind of done with uh, the streaming things. They're not working, which thankfully they are. Um, you know, we need, to, we need to kind of cut costs. Okay, well, all, the, all this stuff's going away. And then you have to go back to buying your, your Xbox first party games. Or, or the indie games that would have been on it. I don't know what that does to the industry that's already, or the gamers that are used to having it this way, but you could always still buy the game. So I think that's a little bit um, different in that way. Mm -hmm. um, I think for movies and TV and music, it's like we've become so used to, oh, I can just watch it on this thing and then I'm done. Having everything not, on demand, yeah. Yeah. It's a different thing, but it does worry me with gaming of just like, how big can it get on the mm -hmm. side of Microsoft? I, I kind of want to see what happens if they do buy it and does it level the playing field a little bit? Does it make well, Sony have to, you know, do, do you think so? Do you think it actually does level it? It's hard to answer really. I think yeah. it, 
it more than levels it in my opinion but the fact of the yeah. matter is like sony doesn't have the money that microsoft does they yeah. couldn't do a deal like this they just straight up couldn't um i think one of the other big questions is if this deal does go through and they purchase activision like what happens next are they are they just going to stop here or are they've they already said they're not someone else yeah. yeah so i think that is almost the bigger question of like if that does happen what does that mean for microsoft down the road sony down the road you know like it it, it creates a lot of scary questions yeah i i do work like i like i said i kind of want to see it just because okay now we've got to see what Sony's going to do. Are they going to really put it into these live service things, which look, a lot of them fail uh, mm-hmm. to try to get their own shooter to, to be a big deal and, and see if they don't really need call of duty that much. What does it make the competition do? I mean, obviously Nintendo's over there in our corner, just laughing and printing their money, but um, you know, Nintendo can do that. They have franchises that are just amazing that they keep lasting you know just mario and zelda by themselves it, you know every game that comes out is a a freaking amazing thing that we're all talking about for that entire year sony can do that right with some of their narrative games but yeah, like god of war and spider-man things like that but like it just feels like nintendo's by itself in that situation yeah um, nintendo has always kind of been done their own thing yeah that's that's how they've succeeded all these years and that's not yeah. going to stop anytime soon i don't do you, how what do you think of like i guess xbox's like direction of trying to get everybody in and not just being like oh let's let's be number one let's be the the number one console console wars blah blah, blah. like do you think that that's the direction that everybody kind of needs to go in like let's let's get mobile per- let's get pc i personally do i i would like to see more you know, common ground. Uh, ideally, I would love to see a way that everyone can play everything. I think that would be great. If everyone that's interested in video games could buy one thing and play everything, that's yeah. not going to happen. It was never no. going to happen. But the more we can do to kind of blur those lines and make it easier for people to do things is better. Because, you know, gaming is a, it's an expensive hobby. It's one of the most expensive yes. hobbies out there. And uh, especially in, in, hard economic times it's not easy for people to play the thing and i think the more that we can get things in people's hands and the easier we can do it is better yeah i mean that's why i've always appreciated uh game pass and now ps plus and because it does allow for people to play games that are relatively new maybe they're not always the biggest ones obviously because don't know those other companies got to make money too but you can kind of stay quote-unquote relevant if you want to be playing the newest things, which you don't have to either, you can pick up old things and, and play those too. Uh, and not have to feel like, Oh man, I can, I'm never going to, I have to wait for a sale every single time, uh, months and months at a time. Like it can make it a bit more affordable for people. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, um, yeah. And I mean, there's always the age old struggle of, you know, like this is a business we need to make money versus like, you know, we make games as art that people want to express themselves through. And like, with that in mind, you would want the broadest amount of people to experience something as possible. So those ideas are constantly in conflict. It's just a matter of like, how can we kind of rectify those a little bit? How can we get those two ideas in understanding? So, I mean, 
saying that, uh, Microsoft just out of the blue decided to raise prices on Game Pass for the first time since they've had the service. Uh, wouldn't I mean, I guess do it now before you have the decision and then yeah. you don't blindside people. But to me, that uh, that honestly seemed like an inevitability. As soon as yeah. they created Game Pass, it was like, this sounds too good to me. And I mean, right. I think I think it is. It's just, you know, it's hard to to make money when you have a service like that is all of your big games are just releasing for free you know? right. for, for free. You know, you're still paying the subscription, but as you know, we talked about earlier as, as development costs go up, I think it's just natural that that price is going to have to go up. Yeah. I mean, we keep forgetting that they, they're making deals with these publishers and developers to have the games on there. So, I mean, they got to keep breaking the revenue somewhere yeah. to look, I, I get it. It's a trillion dollar company. They can pull it out of whatever, but realistically, if Xbox, like they said in this court hearing is a company inside Microsoft, Xbox itself has to make its own money to be able to keep yeah. giving out these deals. So they got to yeah, make the money somewhere. They're about to spend $70 billion. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> they got to make it back somehow. Yeah, exactly. They're going to, and, um, you know, it, and then they've got to like branch out these. That's to me, like the wins for this are the work environment for all the Activision Blizzard employees is going to get better. Right. And then Ho hopefully, yes. <laughs> yes. Well, hopefully I, we, we don't know. There could be bad things happening at Microsoft that nobody talks about. But for the most part, it seems like you don't really hear anybody saying that Xbox is a bad uh, work environment, mm -hmm. at least. And, and then also like getting to see maybe. Uh, all this because right now Activision has everything tied into Call of Duty, and then mm -hmm. you have Blizzard doing their things, right? Like I want to see some of these developers like get to branch back out and do some of these other franchises that are have been dormant. Maybe don't do a Crash Team Rumble, actually do another Crash game. That yeah, like the big one I think know? about is yeah, to Toys for Bob, the studio behind yeah. Crash Team Rumble. They're primarily just a Call of Duty support studio now. Exactly. Same with. Same with Raven Software. I'd love to see both those studios get to do something they want. Make Toys for Bob, I'd love to see them make a new Spyro game. But everything just has to feed into that that machine that is Call of Duty. Yeah. Um, and so I think with some of Microsoft's infrastructure, maybe you might have a chance to make more unique things. Um, you know, like Josh Sawyer, the director of Pentiment, talked about last year how like Pentiment wouldn't have been possible if Game Pass didn't because it gave them the chance to like have a smaller game with a smaller budget and a smaller team and be able to justify making that when you can put it on a service rather than have to worry like is this going to sell yeah hi-fi rush same thing right like exactly it, yeah yeah um we need we need more games i mean look i know that they don't draw the big eyes and the big bucks or whatever but we need more games like like we need games that they can be hyped they can be acclaimed but they're not Look at Hades, right? Like it is mm -hmm. sort of in that same vein of Supergiant has gotten big off of Hades. They're making a Hades too because of that. Uh, they obviously have the history with the other games, Bastion, and, uh, Transistor, and Pyre, and all that. But Hades was obviously their big explosion game, the one to put them on the map. Like you need games like that to kind of keep things going in the industry of just it isn't all about AAA like we talked yeah. about. So if Game Pass makes that happen, I think that's great. Yeah, I mean, there's so many vibrant ideas that developers have out there. 
uh, just think about all the ideas that have never seen the light of day, day that could have been something interesting, you know? Game Pass is worth it just so I can experience a hi-fi rush or a pentiment. Like, I, you know, I want to see more inventive the games that really try and do interesting things or innovative yes. things that can push the industry forward rather than this kind of homogenous triple A that doesn't really advance but doesn't go backwards, just kind of stuck, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, and we have a lot of these like subgenres that exist because the indie games take risks and then they kind of become their own genres themselves, right? And then AAA kind of tries sometimes to take those and and be a uh, make those into something. So you kind of you need all that to make the uh, the interesting stuff happen. Yeah, yeah. And and you don't want to wind up like Perfect Dark. Also, this uh, poor or Elder Scrolls Six, which is going to release yeah. probably ten years after its announcement at this point. <laughs> like even Todd Howard's already telling you that's probably going to be my last game, guys. Yeah. Like uh, that game is so far off that I love when there's a game that was announced like four years ago, and they're like, "Oh yeah, we haven't really even started working on that." Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> like we just announced it. We had to tell you it was like in thought process in my head, but here. Uh. I'm glad that we've gotten away from that for the most part. Yeah. Because you know, we talked a lot about Square Enix this episode. They used to be very bad about it. and they they've gotten better in recent years, you know. They they've gotten more used to like we're gonna announce something and it's gonna be out in one or two years, you know, even yeah. rebirth. Yeah, like I'm amazed still at how fast that is coming. I thought it was gonna be farther off. And then when they yeah. said, Oh, it could even possibly come out twenty twenty three at first, I was like, Wow. Yeah. They've really been working on this. That's incredible. Uh, yeah, and I, I would mean, much rather I would much rather companies and developers, you know, hold stuff until they really have something to show, exactly. rather than just that typical CG trailer. Like it'll be here when it's here. And, yeah, I'd much rather see the gameplay and know what it's going to be, not feel like you got cheated when, uh, like a lot of people thought about Avowed, right? The the CG yeah. that they showed at first is not the same thing that they showed at the xbox showcase that people got upset so yeah i think managing expectations is very important in this industry yeah. because gaming more than anything has this bad habit of playing into this hype site and people just get so incredibly excited for things and like there's no way that it's not going to be a disappointment because they're expecting the move and it's just right. like it's just not going to happen so i think managing expectations from the start is really important for companies to do from a marketing perspective. And I mean, and that's why I, even though I didn't watch all of it because it's really long, but I did appreciate the fact that, that Microsoft took all that time with Starfield at their direct mm-hmm. and like kind of let you know, look, this is what the game is. Exactly. You decide if you want this game because this is what it's going to be and not like, oh, we're still talking about, oh, we're going to be able to do this. Don't do the No Man's Sky thing where you promise the moon and then you get not even half of that when the game comes out. So I'm glad that they went that route. Um, But, you know, as far as Microsoft and and Activision goes, at least they have the promise of Starfield to finally show (laughs) you that they can own a studio and it makes this, they they have some other ones. Like we mentioned, Obsidian has been on fire every time they make a game. Um, You know, Hi-Fi Rush was really good this year, but, it's not, I think, the output that people are expecting. It feels like 2024 is kind of finally going to get all the stuff in a row. But yeah. Starfield, I think, is going to be the one that can finally show, oh, Microsoft can own something 
and it will be something great. Yeah, you know? I think that's I think you're spot on. Like it's really important that they show like that we can put stuff out because they keep buying all these studios and having all these projects, but then they're just always in development and always yeah. over the horizon. And Starfield's a big point for showing like all these all these moves that we've made are meaningful. Like we have plans. We're not just kind of like making it up as we go. You know, speaking of making it up as we go, it feels like the ESA is doing that with E3. Um, with, uh, they, we have basically like a calendar from the convention center that kind of shows that 2024 and 2025 E3 were, were probably going to be canceled. The ESA quickly came out and was like, no, 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 none of that's being canceled, but yet you canceled the 2023 and that was supposed to be the one that you were going to make the comeback for. Um, obviously summer game fest happened, or I guess it's still happening technically. I don't know if some of these other showcases are technically part of that or not. What do you like, you know, summer game fest just happened. I, when, and when it ended for me, I felt like, oh, I think I'm, I'm finally getting what Jeff is doing. This actually felt a little bit more like E3. Do you think that it, I mean, how do you feel about E3, I guess, going away or if this finally is the nail in the coffin and, do you think that Jeff can ever get Summer Game Fest to be what E3 was? I don't think we're ever going to have another experience of what E3 used to be. Um, just because the industry has changed so much, you know, since E3 stopped, we've seen so many developers start doing their own streams and their own announcements and showcases. Nintendo Directs have become bigger than ever. And Microsoft yeah. has their own stuff now. And the way that games are marketed and shown off has just changed so much. I don't think we could have another kind of E3. That's not to say that E3 couldn't exist in some form. I just don't think it's ever going to be the like lofty height that we, we held it up to before. Um, Summer Game Fest is good. I think it has room to improve. I think all of Jeff's shows kind of have a similar problem where they all just feel a little too bloated. Um, I think he needs to kind of streamline stuff a little bit Maybe say, you know, say no to one or two announcements. You don't have to pack it two hours, two hours, two and a half hours full. Make it a leaner show that's an hour, hour, 15 minutes, more tightly paced, you know, just kind of. Nintendo is really, to me, mastered the game. Like, they're, no one does their showcases like them. Those directs just, they feel snappy. They feel like stuff's moving on. You know, you're getting big announcements. They're paced well. You're not bored during an entire, even if you're not excited for everything in a direct, you're not bored. During, um, yeah. So, you know, this is all a roundabout way of saying that, like, I think we have a lot of figuring out to do to, for what happens with those summer events. Um, I don't think what happened this year is, is the best way of doing it because we have summer game fest and then we have this, the n seemingly never ending stream of sh other showcases. Um, I'd like things to be brought together a little more so we can maybe yeah. have them in a few events rather than you have to make a spreadsheet of everything that's happening so you can keep track of it, you know? That was the nice thing it, about E3. It's way better than the one that they had like two years ago, whatever. They, it was like months and months and months long or whatever. They've got shortened yeah. some, but I agree. It needs to shorten a lot more. Uh, I think it's very important to have an event that brings the industry together. Um you know, the public is a piece of that. But even past that, having an event that brings developers and, and press uh, and business all together in one place 
is really important. And I think, you know, I went to Summer Game Fest. And I think everyone that I knew that went there kind of echoed that same thought that, like, it was just really nice to be together again, the whole industry yeah. in one place, where it felt just like bringing everyone together where we can talk and kind of like see each other and just bring things out is, is just really important. To, um, and so something like that needs to exist in some form, I feel, if you're basically going to sum it all up. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'm glad that that exists, that Jeff has helped that exist. And, you know, is obviously has a vision for wanting to improve and he listens to feedback and he tries to get better about that. Um, you know, hopefully Summer Game Fest will have uh, more inclusivity when it comes to its presenters uh, in the future as well. You know, the, the shows yeah. and all that. Um, yeah. But I, I feel like he that the point is that he listens. Right. He doesn't yeah. he tries to make it bigger, but he also doesn't try to bloat it money wise like the ESA yeah. did. I think what he really needs to do to make that show evolve is to kind of take himself out of it. You know, he can it still be the one that, that he can still be the one that oversees everything and puts it all together. But so much of summer game fest is about like Jeff Keeley showing you things. I yeah. think it would be better if you had other hosts or other or developers, like take him out of the experience a little bit. Have him, maybe he introduces the show at the start, but then he doesn't need to be the person hosting the whole thing or talking about it or interviewing every developer. You know? um, I think he can still play that integral role, but if you really want that show to evolve and grow in meaningful ways, I think it needs to not center quite as much around him. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, plus he has the other thing. I mean, he has the game awards already are also centered yeah. around him as well. And like he does games, Gamescom yeah. now as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the thing. You got the opening night live thing. You got the game awards you got, but I mean, summer game fest, is kind of like his his big thing that he he wants. Like obviously the game awards yeah. are, are huge for him too, but that kind of we kind of know where that is and and what that is going to be and kind of sign of the limitations of that as well. Whereas Summer Game Fest feels like that can be improved, like you're saying, mm -hmm. and maybe it is that he needs to kind of back away from that and let other people be more involved yeah. um, as well. And and again, like not. If you're going to pack it with showcases, figure out something where maybe it's two weeks and not two months. Yeah. And then another thing obviously has been Alan Wake 2 made a huge news by the fact that it's not going to have a physical version. And obviously I think people forget that Remedy is not a huge, they're like at most a double A studio, but their reasoning, they came out with it now finally, is that it allows them to patch the game all the way up until launch basically because they don't have to make a gold version of the game. do you see that this could kind of be another tide turner towards more people doing this yeah <laughs> i think the the writing's been on the wall for a while at that the industry as a whole is kind of shifting to a more digital focus i'm a physical collector i love physical stuff and i don't want that to go away but i think remedy's reasons make sense i can see why they would make those decisions I think the best option, I, I heard a lot of people talking about this week how like they'd like to see gaming go kind of where the music industry does, where you get the digital release, and then later on, maybe you get the physical release with like vinyls or like special physical releases and things like that. I would be fine if we do something like that, where you know you put the digital game out and then maybe a physical version comes later down the line. Um, you know, like things like Limited Run have done, done a lot of that. 
So I get why they're doing it, and I get why people are upset about it. I think for a studio like Remedy, like Alan Wake 2 is clearly the most ambitious game they've ever made, and there's a lot they want to do with this. Uh, and to me, if not making a physical copy lets them kind of see that vision through a little more, I'm okay with it. I'm not, I'm not happy about it necessarily, but I'm okay with it. Yeah, I, I can totally see it from their perspective of we don't want to run into the problem that a lot of other games have been having this year where, okay, we have to make a version that's going to be on the disc and then we got to do updates. Then we got to do the day one update and then we got to do all this stuff. And then it comes out and it's not as great as it could be because you have to have the physical version. If this actually does let them make a better game that they have a better version of launch, I'm totally fine with that because that's what you want. You have that first impression still matters a lot, especially when it's not a super no. Like I I think people sometimes forget that Alan Wake is not this huge franchise, you know, kind of niche kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and they've tried, they tried to, I mean, not tried, they did. They made kind of like their own universe with control and, and all that and putting it all together sort of. And, And I love all that. I want to see what, how they, maybe connect all those things when Alan Wake 2 comes out. But I think most importantly, I don't want to see, oh, this game's broken at launch. Another game that came out this year. I mean, even Final Fantasy 16 has their problem where the performance mode is not great. And yeah. uh, apparently it's making some, P- which I think part of it is also where you have your PS5. But I also haven't it played is, in performance yeah. mode. Uh, so I played in quality mode the entire time because once I heard performance mode is, is what it is, I'm not going to play it on there because... Uh, you know, I have a 4K TV or whatever. I'm just going to play it in yeah. quality mode. I want it to look nice. But cleaning, the overheating of PS5 yeah. is, is actually very important. I learned that's that recently. True. Yeah, that's important too. I was playing Ratchet and Clank like a couple months ago, and it just kept crashing on me. And I, was, I guess I need to clean my PS5, so I took it apart and I sprayed it out, and that fixed it. Yeah. Never had a problem again. Oh, okay. I Yeah, people need to do that too. I also, like, I think from what they told you at the beginning, this PS5 is big. Don't put mm-hmm. it have it. Don't have it in an enclosed entertainment center. You know, yeah, you really you got to give it room to breathe. Yeah, yeah. But so, the, the Alan Wake two thing is hard because I mean the the fact of the matter is there still are plenty of people in the United States that don't just the internet. Yeah, um, and that makes it difficult. You know, like let, they can't update games, let alone a game you want doesn't have a physical copy. How do you play it if you don't have internet? So yeah, I, I get why it's difficult, and I think there needs to be some kind of bound, but. I'm not the one to, to provide the answer on how to fix that, basically. I mean, if it does allow it to where they don't have to have as many updates, then that's good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. Not having that physical version, I don't. I don't do physical anymore. Everything's digital, especially it doesn't help that you know when you get review codes, they're all digital. Yeah. Um, you know, when when that happens, you're sitting there. Okay, well, almost all my stuff's digital. I'm gonna have a couple things physical, and then. But I do, I do feel bad for, for folks that love that physical stuff. And, and then if this is the way it's going to go, we've seen it with movies and uh, where you, you go to stores and it's like the movie collection keeps getting smaller, smaller, and smaller. And games yeah. have become that too. You go to Walmart, the game section is smaller and smaller. So, yeah. Yeah, movies too. There's stuff that's only on streaming. Yeah, you, know, you want to watch Martin Scorsese's The Irish Man? Like, you better have internet. <laughs> yeah, get Netflix and yeah. watch it, or watch it another way, but you still got to have internet. So yeah, yeah. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of it for what I had on the docket today. Uh, really quick, just uh, I know everybody's still probably going to be playing Final Fantasy 16 and, and everything else uh, this next week, but there are some games coming out of note um, this week coming here. Uh, Story of Seasons of Wonderful Life, the remake of the Harvest Moon game uh, from the GameCube era is coming out basically tomorrow, today, as you're listening oh, to yeah. this. Um, and then that AEW Fight Forever game, which is actually pretty good. I've been playing it. Uh, if you want that feeling of like WrestleMania 2000, No Mercy, this thing copies it to the T uh, to the point where you even have the same looking momentum meter and everything. Uh, it's incredible what they were able to do, Yukes uh, and, and the folks here. Um, uh, Enclave HD is coming as well. That's the hack and slash game. Uh, I'm excited for Ghost Trick, Phantom Detective. I'm very uh, excited for that, too. I love that game. I don't know if I'm going to pick it up immediately because i got to review this game here, um, but I will pick it up pretty soon because uh, I've been I've been waiting for this to come out, and then when they showed that, that last bit of uh, the demo at the Capcom Showcase, I was like, okay. You got me sold here with this. Um, that ghost announced everybody one to switch. It's, it's incredible that that first game was a launch game. They put so much behind it. And then this game just gets shadow announced. And they're like, yeah. oh, yeah, it's coming at the end of the month, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, I haven't played it. It's not out. But I don't have high expectations. Let's just say that. Did you play the the first game? Yeah, the first one was fine. Um, yeah, but you have to. The hard part with that game is you have to have a group of people mm -hmm. that's willing to like get into. It. You have to have right. people that are willing to like be outgoing and and have fun with those. If if you don't have a group of people that's willing to do that, you're just not gonna have. Yeah, definitely. Uh, exactly. It's a party game, but people got to be willing to to kind of make fun of themselves uh, yeah. to do it at the party. Um, an indie game called Crime O'Clock, which is another, like one of those puzzle adventure games, and it looks kind of cool. It looks like they kind of drew it with like pencil, and then um, you kind of got to solve the puzzles around it and stuff. It's actually uh, neat looking. And then the Master Detective Archives Rain Code, which is made by you can tell immediately in the art style, it's made by Danganronpa people because it looks just like those characters in the Danganronpa games. Uh, it's for Switch, so if you like those, uh, the kind of visual novel, um. You know, like puzzle game, you got one right there for you coming here in a couple of days. So, um, and thank you so much, uh, Hayes, for being on. Uh, anything you want to promote or anything like that? Uh, we... yeah, Th well, thanks for having me on. First off, it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, if people want to follow me, you know, you can go on Twitter, I'm at Soul Fleet, S O L F L E E T, uh, or I do most of my work on Inverse. So, you can find me over there and my other great uh, team members that we all do great stuff over there. So just go check out inverse. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Hayes has got a lot of Final Fantasy 16 stuff that he's written that, that piece that you wrote about uh, Sid and Clive being like a, such a key uh, relationship in the game. I thought that was so good. So well, thank you. props to you for that. And yeah, man, um, thank you so much again for being on. Uh, everybody else, you know, you can hit subscribe, uh, follow, like on the YouTube channel. Every time we do a show, we are there. And of course you get the other stuff that we do as part of W2 network. And then of course, if you just want to listen on podcasts, you can go subscribe there. Anytime we do a show is there. So 
Until next week, everyone. We'll see you later.